0: Chapter twenty five of Among the Great Masters of the Drama. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Among the Great Masters of the Drama by Walter Rowlands. Chapter twenty five Edwin Booth. That face which no man ever saw and from his memory banished quite with eyes in which are Hamlet's awe and Cardinal Richelieu's supple light looks from this frame. Thomas Bailey Aldridge on Sargent's Portrait of Booth On a memorable occasion, Salvini and Booth acted together for a few nights at the Academy of Music, New York, in the spring of 1886. The Italian tragedian playing Othello and the ghost in Hamlet to Booth's Iago and Hamlet. Booth first played Richelieu in Sacramento, California in 1856, when he was but twenty-three years of age. It was the most successful part among those he presented on his first visit to London in 1861, and at the time of his second engagement in the English capital, In 1880, the Athenaeum printed this flattering notice of the performance. Mr. Booth's Richelieu is an admirably conscientious, thoughtful, and artistic performance. In this character, the significance of Mr. Booth's method is revealed, and the reputation it has won for him in the United States becomes comprehensible to the English public. Almost for the first time in recent days, the full value of an artistic method has been made apparent by an English-speaking actor to an English audience. Those actors who, like Mr. Irving, Vechter, or even Signor Salvini, have won warmest recognition, have done so apparently on the strength of personal gifts and of a species of magnetic or sympathetic influence. Which enabled them to dispense with apparent method and in certain instances overleap it in the case of Signor Salvini, what looked like nature was probably an outcome of highest art, with Mr. Irving and in a certain degree with Fetcher. What was best was a direct outcome of individuality through a direct inspiration. Mr. Irving attained the really splendid effect which is witnessed in Hamlet when he springs, after the play scene, into the throne vacated by the king, or that not less fine effect in Richelieu, when, after the departure of the baffled murderers, he puts his head through the curtains of his bedroom by much slower, and it may be surer, processes Mr. Booth reaches a result not less fine mr booth's richelieu is a sustained and an exquisite performance at one or two points it displays electrical passion and it is throughout admirable in finish those passages in which richelieu confronts the cowering minion of the king and defies him to touch the woman around whom he has thrown the protection of the church are naturally the favorites with the playgoer far higher however than the merit of these passages is that of the grace beauty and completeness of the whole all that was seen was the fierce subtle and indomitable prelate in the very guise in which he has been conceived by lord lytton the appearance was singularly like the best-known pictures of richelieu and the character of the astute unscrupulous man was presented to the life William Winter, the close friend and biographer of Booth, thus wrote of his Richelieu, Booth's personation of Richelieu has by many acute critics been accounted his best work of art. The character is one that assimilates, at many points, with Edwin Booth's temperament, and one that is marvelously well adapted to catch the sympathies of mankind. Appearing as the soldier-priest, the tragedian has never failed to win the popular heart no piece of acting is better known in this generation and except it to be jefferson's matchless performance of rip van winkle no piece of acting is more admired booth's richelieu is one of the most powerful symmetrical and picturesque works of dramatic art with which the stage is adorned it may not reproduce the cardinal of history that result was not essential. It certainly does embody the cardinal of the drama that Booth looks the character as a matter of course. His weird, thoughtful, spiritual face and his slender, priest-like figure made up with the concomitants of age and clothed in the requisite and accurate ecclesiastical garments combine in a perfect presentment of the fiery soul in the aged and puny body the physical realization could not be improved edmund clarence stedman wrote of the famous curse scene at the end of the fourth act of richelieu we moderns who so feebly catch the spell which made the church of rome sovereign of sovereigns for a thousand years have it cast upon us in the scene where the cardinal deprived of temporal power and defending his beautiful ward from royalty itself Draws around her that church's awful circle, and cries to Baratus, Set put a foot within that holy ground, and on my head, yea, though it wore a crown, I launch the curse of Rome. Booth's expression of this climax is wonderful. There is perhaps nothing of its own kind to equal it upon the present stage. Well may the king's haughty parasites cower and shrink aghast from the ominous voice, the finger of doom, the arrows of those lurid, unbearable eyes. John Collier's vivid realization of the actor in this episode of Bulwar's Drama, Painted in London, was given by Edwin Booth to his friend William Bispham, who afterward presented it to the Players' Club which Booth's munificence founded, and of which he was the first president. The artist, born in London in 1850, was a pupil of Poynter, Lawrence, and Alma Tadema. Among the many portraits of men of Mark painted by Collier are those of Darwin Huxley, whose daughter he married, Rudyard Kipling, and Henry Irving. His subject pictures are numerous and include the last voyage of henry hudson belonging to the national gallery of british art the death of cleopatra clytemnestra circe and in the forest of arden end of chapter twenty five